PXG has done it again with the launch of a new lineup of drivers, fairways, hybrids, and irons. The new Gen 5 golf clubs deliver significantly increased MOI, faster ball speeds, longer distances, and tighter dispersions, all coupled with the exceptional feel and sound golfers have come to expect from PXG. Schedule your custom fitting or buy online at pxg.com. And we're back, Stripe Show podcast on a Thursday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. Usually on Thursdays, I teach all day, but I needed to take a break today because I've got the opportunity to talk to this guy, uh, one of the smartest guys in the game of golf. And I've been wanting to do this because there's a lot of things happening in today's game in the way that we teach it, Mm -hmm. um, that in the way that the body moves, that as a coach and as an instructor, uh, you need to understand. And I think for my audience, and I have a lot of coaches that listen to the podcast, and I have a lot of amateurs, players that listen to the podcast, I think you'll find this very interesting um, on the concepts that we're going to be talking about in in the guide to, to help me with it, joining me from his house, Little Rock, Arkansas. Dr. Greg Rose, Titleist Performance Institute. Thank you, sir, for your time. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Travis. Really appreciate it. And I've known you and Dave Phillips for a while. When you guys started TPI, I did a lot of your classes very early on years ago um, and have learned a lot from you guys and continue to. And, you know, I think this talk about, you know, injury, right, and and keeping people injury free as they go down this rabbit hole of golf and improving technique or creating more speed or whatever the case may be feels relevant right now, Greg, because we have so many people, which is great playing the game of golf right now. And at faster speeds than ever before. (laughs) Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to just adjust my, uh, it looks like my camera's really bright. There you go. Um, you know, I, I always look at, I always look at, uh, you know, in, in most sports today, you know, speed is of priority, right? So it, mm-hmm. it, it pays to be faster. You, the, the guys with the, the fastest swings have the highest world rankings, the most money in their bank accounts. But, you know, when you're in a car, if you get an accident going 30 miles an hour, it hurts a lot more when you get an accident going 100 miles an hour, mm-hmm. right? So a big focus of today's game is, I call it surviving the golf swing, right? We mm-hmm. got to survive today's world, right? All right. So let's, let's survive a golf swing. Here's a, here's a young man, 26 years of age that, uh, I think, you know, and, um, I've been reading up on the things that have been happening here, uh, with Will Zalatoris, who you have been helping, um, kind of navigate his back injury and, uh, two herniated discs, as I understand it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, Greg, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, is from what we see here in this picture, his setup on the left, his impact on the right. And what jumps out is you can clearly see the amount of side bend that Will takes on where his right shoulder is excessively down underneath. And as I understand that side bend, which is a very popular topic um, amongst yeah. teachers in managing that in something that's important for our our listeners to understand, but this is the reason or the biggest reason that, that Will has had back issues, isn't it? Well, yeah. So let me, I can start with, uh, uh, just give you a little, little quick background. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then we'll get to the injury. First of all, Will has an amazing team around him. I'm kind of late to the party. So when he got injured, uh, when he drew after the FedEx Cup is when they contacted me. But um, Troy Denton, his coach, Josh Dreck, Gregory, Damon Goddard, his trainer, Mike Duffy, who's worked on his body. Great team around him, like some mm-hmm. of the best experts in the minds in, in golf today. And uh, um, when they came and saw me, you know, they were – consulting with with me as a uh, uh, as a let's try and make sure this never happens again right? right so as you said we look at some of the most common things that create back problems right um, there, are, there are there are multiple things that I would say that you've got to pay attention to with the lower back like how much disassociation you have between your upper body and your lower body what Jim McLean used to call the X factor the separation like we had the big problem with Patrick Cantley many years ago where he had a back injury because of just super flexibility in that area so you can create a lot of torque that's a very common thing that can create back problems there's something called reverse spine angle where you actually lean your body towards the target in the backswing that's one of the number one causes of back pain so if you get the top of your backswing and you lean towards the target that puts a puts your body in a very poor position to stabilize lower back and create some right lower lower back pain and then you're you're describing one that in the the picture in front of us here wills altoris with excessive side bend Anytime you want to hurt a, a, a joint or a disc in your back is compress the joint, right? Like you, you, you never want to go to end range and then twist, right? Mm. So if I side bend, I'm basically taking the joint, closing the joint, and then grinding it, right? Which can put stress on the joint and the disc. And on, on Will's case, you know, I think it's uh, very clear that he does a lot of side bend. But the question to me, and this is the question that you always got to ask yourself if you're a player out there, it might be obvious that that's creating the back pain, but what's not obvious is why do you do that, mm-hmm. right? So that, to me, is not a cause. That's a result. In other words, why why is he doing the side bend? And I think, you know, uh, good players are incredible at hitting good golf shots. And what I mean by that is that I can give him a horrible piece of equipment, put the tee in the wrong height. I can give him about, and he will figure it out. He'll figure out how to get those optimum launch characteristics. And one of the key things with the driver is a, a proper attack angle. You want to get that, that driver moving up. And a lot of people, if let's say the club face is too closed or your attack angle is too down, will do side bend to help create that that positive attack angle to to really uh, optimize the launch characteristics mm-hmm. of the ball. And on Will's case, I think it was really clear in transition what he did, and I think he's talked about this publicly, is, is he kind of he kind of hiked his right hip up in the air. Right, I call this right hip launch for a right-handed player. In transition, if the right hip goes high in transition, normally if we look at the normal ground reaction forces in the backswing, a player has their right hip slightly elevated, about 10 degrees higher than the left hip. That's just average on a driver on PGA Tour. Then you're going to see a weight shift. You're going to see them drive from their right leg to their left leg. And as you weight shift, and if you just stand up and just shift your weight from your right to your left, your left hip will go high. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the backswing, I'm kind of loading my right leg. So my right hip goes high. And then as I weight shift, my left hip goes high. Well, as he weight shift, his right hip went high. So he's weight shift, mm-hmm. his right hip goes up in the air. Now, if your right hip goes up in the air and you start to launch, your right hip goes up. It's really easy to get a steep attack angle. Right. Attack angles because it kind of follows the plane of your pelvis. The right hip goes up. My swing starts going down. And now a good player like Will is going to go. I need to shallow this somehow. And, and I, I believe you use side bend to help shallow that so we actually attacked the pelvis on him 
and and trying to prevent the pelvis going up and it's all of a sudden the the side bend wasn't an issue at least in, in my mind it was helping minimize this and the good news was yes he had two herniated discs but there are levels of uh, severity of herniations right so i would say you know his his um it's always severe when you herniate a disc but uh, i've seen a lot worse I think he's going to be great. I think the main thing that we had conversation was in most sports don't have this problem, but in golf we do. I mean, if you look at someone like Will in their, in their early twenties, name another sport where you can make millions of dollars. If you take care of your body for the next 40 years. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm like, Hey, listen, we're not trying to keep you healthy for the next five years. We got to do this for 40 more years. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, that's a, that's a, an important conversation to have when you're young. So it, it, it it kind of you never neglect it. So in a way, this could have been a a uh, an important. I don't want to say wake up call because he works harder than most people I've I've ever met. Um, but it, it shows the importance of taking care of your body at a young age, and that hopefully will make him play longer than anybody. Hopefully, in like a player like Walking Neiman, who yeah. has this same effect, is listening to this and you know thinking about it. There, there's a lot of players that look. I've said this many times in the podcast. Side bend is a very popular conversation on professional range. Uh, most teachers are trying to decrease it as much as they can without changing the DNA of the player, right? And, and, and rocking the boat too much because I would imagine, let me throw this at you, Greg, mm -hmm. the need for speed and what we know about launch monitor data is a bad combination for side bend, right? Yeah, it's, it's think of it this way. The, like if you look at his shoulder bend, right? So if you look at his shoulder, so if you look at the picture in front of you, right? If I were to draw a line right across the horizon and measure the shoulder bend, that's almost 45 degrees. I mean, yeah. his shoulder's still at 45 degrees. If his pelvis, the left hip to the right hip, that same line was 45 degrees, there'd be no problem in his back. It's the difference between the shoulder plane and the pelvis that creates side bend in the spine. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, just looking at the shoulder tilt is important, but looking at the relationship between your shoulder tilt and your pelvic tilt is what puts stress on the lower back. Mm. So, so I think that's really, really important. Some players slide their lower body, get their left hip, left hip high and their shoulders down and, and there's no problem in the back. Right. There could be problems other, other places, but it, it's not attacking the lower back. So I always look to make sure I, I see where the stressors are coming. But if you're, if you get the side bend like will, and you jack your right hip up in the air, I mean, if you just stand up and put your right hip in the air and put your right shoulder down, you're going to feel it in your back right away. Yeah. So that so that right hip yep. is is really kind of the culprit here. I mean, it's when you start digging I think, in. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. And that's why you you know you know this this launch angle, the attack angle to me is a big is is a big culprit out there that people don't talk about enough. You know, people <laughs> exactly. know. I mean, we know our long drive tour players are six to 10 degrees attack angle, right? Yep. So the club is moving six. And the way they do that is with the proper ground reaction forces, a vertical jump, lifting up that helps bring the club up. I think a lot of people are, they tee the ball up higher and they go, I still don't have the attack angle. So they start tilting to try mm -hmm. and swing up. And uh, that's not the right way to do this, especially mm -hmm. if you're not weight shifting too. If you're hanging back and you're trying to do mm -hmm. this, because then the right hip stays up in the air, and now your difference between your spine and your pelvis uh, is a is a big problem. So you work with so how this works for my audience? Because I get this question a lot from my audience. Okay, so you go in there and you're telling these guys, all right, here's the right hip, here's the spine, here's where the issue is. We gotta get rid of that. But why is he doing it? Right, like you said, 
Why yeah, is he doing I, that? Listen, his team, like I said, is one of the best teams on the, in yeah. golf. And they were like, hey, listen, we, we know we have this side bend issue. Um, we just want to make sure we're, we're attacking yeah. all the things. And I'm like, great, because, you know, a lot of people just go, oh, okay, you just got to gotta, gotta fix your shoulder plane. But the shoulder plane is what he uses to hit a good golf shot, right? So we have to mm-hmm. figure out why does the shoulder have to do that? Um, is there a way that we can negate the necessity to uh, do side bend and still have the optimal launch? Because if you look at his launch characteristics, I mean, it's one of the best in the world. I mean, obviously, you know, everyone's like, oh, look at his swing. I'm like, dude, he just won the first event yeah. of the FedEx Cup. I mean, he's pretty yeah. good. He's already one of the best ball strikers in the world. I mean, it's, right. it, that's, right. the, that's the nature of the beast you're dealing with here. So it's like, how can we protect the DNA of this genius? Because that's Correct. what he is. He's Correct. a genius. Correct. And and it's and that's touchy. You know, it's hard because you have to get in there and okay, we gotta rewire something. Like something's yeah. gotta change. I mean, what's kind of funny is you know, we spend three hours because you know, obviously when you come out to TPI or come out to Titleist and we we have the best equipment in the world. So he's on fourth plates and he's on 3D and we're doing strength testing and we it's it's about two to three hours of testing. Mm-hmm. And after at the end, you know, and Will's a perfect example, we just we made like a little small tweak. We just changed just something really tiny. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's sometimes it's little small changes make huge impacts. All right. So let me, let me transition now to this guy. So this is, this is Jason day who, when you, when you talk back issues in golf, the, the first two guys I think of are Freddie couples and Jason day. Those are the two guys that come to my mind and, yep. you know, more recent Jason day. Um, and, I look at Jason Day, and I know Chris Como well. He's been on the podcast, and we talk through some of the changes that they're making. And Jason, when you look at these pictures on the left, um, that's young Jason Day. That's that's Jason Day, number one player in the world, winning 12 times um, on the PGA Tour. And then on the right is more recent Jason Day, who is playing pain-free for the first time. And you can see a very different lower body. And if you just look at it as purest form, for those watching – in between the knees, you can see a little window open up. Yep. And yep. that little window is suggesting more of a change of knee flex. So I want to kick off Jason Day with this question. If I you, you well, talk Mark, about you the said, you, let me let me pause you for a second. You said okay. it's a change of knee flex. Yeah, the knee's straighter, but yeah. that's probably a result of the pelvis is probably turning okay. more. So that's where I'm going. That's where I'm yeah. going. So let me so let yeah. me kick off this question with the pelvis. Yeah, And for my audience, pelvis is important. I've been telling you that now, right? I mean, the yeah. pelvis is important. So the, where was I going with this? Okay. So back with Will, right? You were saying how the right hip was high in transition. Yep. If you get the pelvis, the right side of the pelvis higher. Which the on average is 10 degrees higher on most players to the top of the backswing than the left. So would you say in Jason's new one, his pelvis is higher at the top on the right versus it is on the left at the top. It probably, it, it look, it's hard to tell from this hard, angle, obviously, but, it, but it, it definitely looks more rotated. And if it's more rotation, if there's more load, then typically it's higher. Yeah. So, yeah. so the more rotation of the pelvis back, that window opening up creates the change of knee flex. Yep. How does, how does speak to my audience about this rotation in the pelvis less resistance in the lower body to the upper freeze things up for the back as well. 
Yeah. Okay. So this is a loaded topic, but let's let's talk okay. about first of all why why you would want a bigger backswing. Because I, I look at the one on the right there, and the club looks like it's actually not as far back as the one on the left, right? So it looks like the you know they're close, but I would I would argue that it's not farther in this picture right here, right? Okay. Um, but normally, the farther you take the club back, that is one variable that can help you hit the ball farther. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, I always say if you take all the research out there, there's really only three ways to hit a ball farther. Right. Power is force times velocity. If you think of it in the simplest terms, right, this is the we'll take take out all the angular physics here and just say power is force times velocity or let's say strength times speed. Right. So you want to you want to be able to put those two things behind the ball so you can either apply more force to the ball by putting more force into the club or you can move the club faster, right? Both of those will hopefully hit the ball farther. And th- those are obvious, right? Push harder, swing faster, make the ball go fat farther. But there's a third way. And the third way is something called impulse. And impulse is it's how long you apply that force and that speed for can make you hit the ball farther. So I, the greatest example, I think uh, Sasha McKenzie, a, a, a great bomb mechanist, says uh, uh, an example of you put somebody on a rotary chair a chair with wheels, like one foot away from a wall, stand behind them. If you push them into the wall from one foot away, you can hurt them, but you can't kill them. If you move 30 feet away from the wall, and now you have a running start of 30 feet to slam them into the wall, you can do a lot more damage because you have 30 feet of time to apply that force and velocity, Mm -hmm. right? This is what a longer backswing does. It gives you more time to apply the force and velocity of the club, and you can potentially hit it farther. So in general, most amateurs will hit the ball farther if you take a bigger swing, like John Daly, right? If you're Tony Finau or John Rahm and you don't have a long swing, well, then you just need to apply a lot more force, right? <laughs> and, you know, right? And those are big guys. They can do that, right? So, but if they took it back farther, they'd probably hit it farther too, yep. right? The more time. So on, on uh, back to the conversation with Jason Day, you know, one of the things that great players are trying to do is they're trying to get a full swing so they can create this power, right? And to, to get the club to go back farther, there are certain key joints in your body that you want to be able to use to be able to do this the right way, right? There are certain joints that we call mobile joints. These are joints that are designed to move in all three planes, right? And it's like your hip is a great example. Your hip, it can rotate, it can flex and extend, and it can abduct and it can go in and out, right? So the, the hip joint moves in all different planes. The shoulder joints, the same way, it moves mm-hmm. in all different planes. But there are certain joints that don't move in all three planes, like your knee. Your knee likes to flex and extend. It can go side to side and it can twist, but you don't really want to do that a lot, right? It just it was designed to flex and extend. We call the joints that like to go in one plane of motion stable joints. And a great example of that is your lower back. Okay, if you look at your lower back, your spine, the joints look like this. They're vertical, right? They're, they're what we call the sagittal plane. They're great at flexing and extending. So your lumbar spine, the joints flex and extend. If you try and rotate or side bend, they don't like doing that. And that's where things, that's where problems occur, right? Your thoracic spine, the joints aren't vertical. They're like this. They're what's called the frontal plane. This is why your side bend is really easy in your thoracic spine, but you can also rotate from here. You can rotate. So the thoracic spine is much more mobile than the, than the lumbar spine. Mm-hmm. So when a golfer takes a backswing, okay, what they want to do is they want to use their mobile joints, right? They want to rotate in their ankle. They want to rotate in their hip. They want to rotate in their thoracic spine, and they want their shoulder. Those are the main joints. If for some reason, let's say your hip joint's restricted or your thoracic spine's restricted, 
and you know you want to take the club back farther because you don't hit it as far if you don't, the body will sometimes go, okay, listen, if I can't move the mobile joints, well, then I'll try and move some of those stable joints. And when right. you do, something bad usually happens. Mm-hmm. So on Jason's case, and again, I, I've never worked with him personally, so I would assume, I'm making a big assumption here, I'm sure Chris could, could tell you for sure, that there was something that was restricted, a joint, either a hip or a thoracic spine, probably, that was harder for him to, you know, everybody's used to seeing Tiger Woods with that stable lower body and turning the shoulders. That requires an incredible amount of flexibility in the hip and the spine. Mm. If the hip and the spine don't have the flexibility and he tries to do that using his lower back, it's going to create all kinds of problems. So one of the things you can do is you can say, hey, let's, let's try and make sure the pelvis or the hip is moving, right? So if I rotate the pelvis, I'm moving from the hip joint. I'm moving below the spine, not above the spine. Mm-hmm. So trying to get that hip, maybe they worked on some hip mobility, getting this working a little bit better, trying to maybe uh, even change the position of the right foot to allow the hip to rotate more. That'll still have him maintain the length of the swing, but not do it from his lower back. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's how you survive that swing. And, and if you watch the pelvis turn more, usually the right knee responds. It's the result right. of the cause by extending more. Right. So, all right. It's not a long answer there, but that's... Yeah, no, it's good. I have like, so my head's swimming right now and I have like four things I want to say, but I'm going to whittle it down to two. On okay. my ex- on my experience of teaching this, and I just want to talk the concept here for a second in change of knee flex and how that's happening from, you know, the pelvis motion and or the pelvis turning and all that and getting deeper, loading deeper and, and how that can lengthen out the swing. It tends to have a net effect in, in my experience, Greg, on up the chain to the spine too. Like the spine tends to kind of open up a little bit more. They can, they can elongate or extend the spine a little bit. And, and, and then all of a sudden the swing lengthens out nicely for them mm-hmm. versus what I call the old man swing, which is, you know, it's, it's like the older we get, the more we want to kind of stay down and in and, and we don't turn the lower, the spine stays down in flexion. Yeah, and and we just kind of move off the ball, and well, so so yeah. I'm lengthening swings out more. It feels like not all of them, not all of them, but yeah. well, but in general, I'll tell you a great story. So, you know, I I think we have so many things to thank Tiger Woods for in this game. This yeah. is one of the things that I think we have to blame Tiger Woods for. Right, here's <laughs> a kid with so much flexibility, so much power was able to keep his lower body stable. In turn, a lot of people try to copy that, right? And I'll never forget, uh, Peter Costas was doing a, a workshop for us, and he told a great story. He said, hey, if you go back in the day, like Bobby Jones or, you know, we're real early, he goes, what, what did they wear to play golf? And I'm like, a lot of times they wore like a three-piece suit. He's like, exactly. They had like a jacket and a tie. He goes, how easy is it to move in a three-piece suit? I go, not very easy. He goes, so guess what their swings did? A lot of movement, almost like we were seeing with Jason on the right. Mm. Opening up, like you said, turning the big lower body turn, up by turn. He goes, and then he goes, how about Tiger Woods? When he came out, it was modern apparel, this Lycra stretch material. He goes, pretty easy to move in it. He goes, right, so... He goes, you know, for him, he can stabilize his lower body and twist because the, the, the apparel's easy. He goes, let me ask you a question. He goes, your normal student that you work with at a country club, he goes, their body. Is their body more like modern Lycra stretchy material or is it more like a three-piece suit? And I'm like, it's definitely like a three-piece suit. He goes, that's all the members I see at my, at my uh, office too. So why are we trying to make them swing like they've got this stretchy fabric when they don't? We've got to give them the ability to move and rotate. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's it's you're, you're lengthening them. I remember I, I said that one time on 
years ago on golf channels. I'm lengthening more swings out than I am shortening them up. And I can remember, like, I got a lot of response. Like, what? Like, my swing's way too long. I'm like, is it? Let me see. You know, like, I I see, I'm I'm constantly trying to get pelvis movement. I think the key is maintaining posture without them. Right. So as long as they maintain posture, and like like what Jason's doing a great job there is like rotating from the mobile joints. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's really important. Like, a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm gonna just try and straighten the knee. Like, if the straightening the knee was the cause then that would work. But I don't think that's the cause. I think it's the result. And if they just straighten the knee, a lot of times they just jack the right hip up and there's no rotation. There's no turn, mm-hmm. there's no depth. And that's that's a disaster. That's me to one either. Yeah. Here's the last thing I'll say to that and then we'll move on to the last one. Okay. So I've noticed that as when a player, there, there was an era there. I can remember getting into golf and it, it, it the perception, at least as a young teacher early was, okay, yeah, turn the upper, not the lower. It was like almost like this. Yeah. It was almost like this turn in like almost like a sit. And then it was like a bit of a launch lateral. You would feel the hips bump. That was a key word, bump. And the spine kind of hang back in side bend. It was almost like a bit of a launch sideways with the lower and then side bend to the right would have to occur. I mean, if you if you get lateral excessive, then you're you're trying to stay behind it. So and and I, I feel like when I see especially my good players, like when that would come in here, okay, they turn the upper and there's a lot of that the pelvis is very level, let's say, right? Yep. And there's no climb in the right side of the pelvis. And they, they tend to they tend to want to push, you know, and they want to push and launch like a like a shot putter. And yep. then they tend to take on side. And we're talking about the reasons. Now, when you go to the right, when I when you get this kind of this depth in the hip and the pelvis, all of a sudden the transition now it feels like it almost wants to kind of like they almost want to kind of sink and sit a little bit, which kind of keeps the the relationship between the upper and the lower kind of more in line early yeah. on in transition. And then, and then when they go to rotate, they, they have less side bend. Yeah. I think, I think you said a key, uh, a little key word there was, uh, the, um, when you were talking about the right hip, you said mm-hmm. depth, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like deep is another way of saying rotate. Right. Okay. Because yeah. if they just go, if they just try and get the right hip high, remember, average is 10 degrees higher than the left. Right. Or, or I should just say, if here's zero, 10 degrees high on the right is average at the top of the backswing. I see a lot of amateurs that sway and move this way. They're 20, 30, 40 yeah. degrees. That's horrible. We don't want that. Like you said, more rotation with that 10 degrees, I think, gives you more of the freedom. And remember on side bend. You know, what's the like if you look at Jason Day right there, how much side bend he has at the top of the backswing on average on the PGA Tour with a driver. I'll just go with the driver with an iron will be more average is 36 degrees of left side bend. Right. Mm-hmm. So the left shoulder is lower than the right. That's usually around 36 degrees of left side bend. When I come down in the middle of the downswing, the average on the PGA Tour is 36 degree right side bend. So just so you know, the average tour player from the top of the backswing to down here, side bend 72 degrees. That's normal, yeah. right? So there's definitely side bend. Well, you got to have it, yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to have it. So I don't want them to think like, oh, I'm just, I'm not going to side right. bend. That would be a horrible golfer. Right. It's just, we like Wills is probably more like 95 degrees, 100 degrees. It just gets a little excessive, yeah. right? And is like it, I said, it, it's that's the trunk. But what the pelvis is doing is way more important. So, mm-hmm. you know, I always say like, if I told Will, like, listen, if your right shoulder is, is 90 degrees low and your right hips 10 degrees high, we could take your pelvis left 
high by 20 degrees. And we've reduced your side bend from if your right hip was 10 degrees high and we took it to 20 degrees high on the left, we just reduced your side bend by 30 degrees and we didn't touch your shoulders. <laughs> it's the relationship between the two. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. Yeah, that's um, that's really interesting stuff. All right, let's let's go to our final one here. All right, so I wanted to pick the most, you know, three most controversial topics. You know, Greg to talk to you with. <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate that. But uh, all right, so this guy, Bryson, it's pretty uh, good. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, here, here's a guy, and I just had Chris on, and I love talking golf with Chris, and. Uh, and, you know, one of the things he said, you know, when, when, when Bryson gets something in his mind, he goes down that rabbit hole and it's, it's, it's obsessive. You, you mean you know? tour players are obsessive compulsive? Just a little bit. So Bryson in his mind, right? I am going to create speed and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to hit the driver as long as I can. And and I'm going to go until I break my hand if I have to. Right. Okay, right. So, so when I watch this, all right, and I'm yep. not, I am not you yep. by no stretch of the imagination, but here's what comes to my head. I watch this. I, I, I watch every video he posts and all I see is Bryson hitting his driver as hard as he can. Yep. And I, and I see it an excessive amount and I hear it and I talk to people and like, he's hitting a lot of drivers full speed. He's doing training. He's all these things. It's obsessive. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking to my mind, God, how can his body hold up to this at these yeah. speeds? And we already have an injury, right? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's proven that there, there, there's been a problem there, but I let, let, so yeah. Okay. Talk about a can of worms. All right. So okay. here, here's what I'd tell you. So first okay. of all, I think Bryson has done a couple really, really good things. Number one is he has proven that if you hit the ball farther, you're a better player, right? Yep. So, I mean, there's no doubt when he started, you know, when he was cruising at 135, 136 on the PGA Tour, he was winning tournaments. People were like, oh, my, I can't, you know, I, I can't compete with this kid, right? So to do that is a huge advantage. The question yep. is, goes back to how we started this, can you do that and survive the golf swing, right? And I think what he also did really, really well is if you want to like if you want to go be great at anything, like let's say you want to go be great at uh, at serving a tennis ball. Right. If you go hang out with Roger Federer or some of, you know, a, a great tennis fight, you're, you're going to learn some great things. So what did he do? He went and found the long drive world. And he's got guys like Kyle Berkshire and Martin. Bore. He got some of the biggest hitters in the world and started picking their brains. Right. And and uh, I think learned a lot of a lot of good things on how to how to do this and you know i i've spent a lot of years on the long drive tour with working with these guys jason zubek and justin james and I, we teach a class at tpi together and you know one of the things that that jason has always taught me is like if you want to swing fast you have to live fast like in other words there's a lot of people that go and train but then when they play, they just play it slow motion. He's like, what's the point of training? He goes, everything's got to be fast or else you won't show up on the golf course. And I think Bryson's taking that advice, you know, to heart going, if I want this to show up, I've got to, I've got to do this. Now, to me, if, if, and again, I don't work with Bryson, so I hate commenting on some guys that I don't, don't, yeah, don't right, train right. personally. But I, I would tell you from my observation, and it could be totally wrong, um, I do believe, and I've seen this with a lot of the long drive tour, the volume of practice in my mind is the issue, right? Okay. And I would tell you that like, okay, let's, let's, let me divert to baseball for a second. If I said to a baseball pitcher, I said, all right, go warm up. We're going to, you're going to come out in the seventh inning, go to the bullpen and, and warm up, you know,
counts, right? There's, there's uh, how many times you throw impacts the performance of your shoulder, right? Yeah. So you never want to overdo your throws. So every pitcher has what we call a ramp time. They know like, or they should know, hey, it takes me about 20 balls to get to my peak speed. Right. And they know that, hey, uh, or if, let's say it's 10 balls. I'm going to just throw 10 balls at my peak speed. And then I know there's a once I get to the ramp, I know how, how many balls it takes for me to get to this. Then I know how long I can sustain that speed. Right. So they might be like, OK, it takes me 15 balls to get to my ramp and I can throw 60 fastballs at that speed. So I, they're like, I got 75 throws. Right. And they can kind of they, they can figure out, are they still in the game? Do they still have a fastball? Do they not? You know, the volume. What I've learned over a lot of years on this is that most people have way less volume that is needed to get to their maximum speeds, right? Than they believe, right? Mm. And that if you, you know, if, if I said, here's, here's another way to say this, and then I'll get to the golf, back to golf. Imagine if you were Usain Bolt's sprinting coach, okay? <laughs> and it's the Olympics. And we've got the 100 meter on Friday, and it's Monday. All right, so Travis, are you an Olympic sprinting coach? No. <laughs> okay, so even with no knowledge of Olympic sprinting, I'm going to ask you this question. We're going to see if you get this right. How many times would you have him do the full speed 100 meters on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, and Thursday, and the, the match is on Friday? How many times would you have him do full speed? Probably none. Why is that? Well, I want, I want him to be fresh. All right, so you wouldn't want him to do it 300 times a day? No. I mean, right, they could... It makes you can convince no me Monday, sense. but I need rest. I need, I, I need you to come in. Yeah, you, it makes it's great. It makes right. no sense, and of course right. you wouldn't do that, right? Why do golfers do this? Why do they think that they've got to hit 500 balls on the range to get faster? When you and I both know, when you get to that ramp, and then you get to the maximum from that point forward, you just start going slower, right? So most golfers have about 10 or 15 swings to warm up. And then they can do full speed. Like, let's say they can swing the club 100 miles an hour. They can probably do that for maybe 15, 20 swings. And then after that, it starts getting slower. And the more you practice slower, you actually will swing slower. So what we always tell people is you need to, that's why you need to have a launch monitor that can measure club head speed, right? Mm -hmm. And you take that, you take that club head speed. And when you practice, you look at that speed. And if you're going to practice, and I love the way Bryson swings as hard as you can. I think that's the only way to get faster, right? But you watch the monitor. And as the monitor goes up, you're doing great. As soon as the monitor starts to level out, you're still okay. But as soon as the monitor starts to go down, you need to stop. Mm -hmm. If you keep going, number one, you're going to train slower. You'll actually slow down. And the chance of injury just goes up exponentially. And I think there's this mentality on some players, and I'm not saying Bryson did this, but I, it wouldn't surprise me because some of the people hanging around uh, that to break personal records, I just need to swing more. I just need I need to push my body to the mm. point where it's going to go. And that can work for some people, but it's very difficult to not break doing stuff like that. Wow, you just got to be careful with volume, right? I, I listen. I think Bryce is one of the smartest guys. It seems like one of the smartest guys out there. So I, I, I'm sure he's he's modifying. And I know he talked about some things with his diet and stuff yeah. too. But I, I, I'm sure he's going to make the tweaks necessary in there. But uh, the advantages are so high, you know. Yeah, to, they to, are. To this, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, the one thing that's proven is, and he did it is. When, when you add distance, it, it's it's hard to argue. I mean, no he was <laughs> it was translating to better finishes and things like that. And then the question is, can you can you sustain that? And then I think like the volume of it, like that was probably right. more of my point in question. The volume of it 
feels. Yeah, I'm much. I'm a much lower volume guy. Like yeah. I, I don't think you. You don't need. It's like again, if I was saying the Bolts coach. There's no way in hell we'd be burning him out before he goes. I mean, and, and I'd be watching that velocity because overtraining is a real deal and it happens with yeah. a lot of people. I told Chris, I said, hey, I said, I said, look, tell him less, I want to see less driver swings. Tell him to go grab the wedge, cut it down two inches, and I want to see more short game. <laughs> what, what did Chris say? <laughs> he just laughed. Like, almost like he he almost like looked at me like, yeah, okay. Well, that's easier said than done, you know, because you know how you know how that goes when you have that conversation I'm with players. You. Speed is, speed is like cocaine, man. It's addictive. It's a drug. It, it, it will, it'll get in their head and they'll want more. So last question. Yeah. You've got these speed training systems, which are, which are great. The stack, um, Sasha's, you know, yeah. um, program, super, um, super speed, all the different ones. Speed. Yep. And, you know, I've got them here. I've done them and I've, I've seen some results. I mean, do you sit back with the need for speed right now and you see the pro game and now it's filtering into the amateur game and like, do you sit back like, gosh, we're going to see more injuries? Like, or, or is oh, it, or that's a given we're going to yeah. see again, if you hit a wall going hundred miles an hour, yeah. it's, forcing given. It. it's given the biggest problem I see in all this and, and baseball has proven this with Tommy John surgeries going up is we've learned so much in science on how to create power. Right. And mm-hmm. if you watch the best players in the world, you see us doing the overspeed overload training, like super mm-hmm. speed stack. And you see the players, almost all of them get big gains. But what you don't see is the years of physical preparation that we've done to prepare these athletes to increase their speed. Right. So what you don't ever do is you don't put speed on top of crap. Right. And the problem is, is what most golfers see out there, what parents see is they go, oh, I got to just do the stack or I got to do super speed. And they take their 12 year old who's never trained a day in their life. They have no foundation of strength, mobility, and they just start putting speed on top of crap. And of course, they're going to break down. Mm -hmm. And of course, we would never do that. We would actually spend the time to build the foundation of strength and stuff so that they can handle the speed. And that's to me, the biggest problem is people see the sexy, fun thing and they think that's all I got to do. You know, like. You know, I think Superspeed does a great job of they, they have a whole warm up they do before you do their protocol. They're doing that because they're like, we don't want to assume that you have any type of foundation. Let's make sure yeah. that we're preparing you because it is the number one mistake people make. Because guess what? Those products work. They will make you go faster. And if yep. you have some horrible structure, it's like you you have, you know, I'm here in Arkansas. We, we do it the redneck way out here, right? If I'm going to build up a, a foundation, you know, we'll find what's on the ground. through that. But if I'm going to. If I'm going to do that and build a little shed, no problem. If you're going to try and put a 30 story building on top of that foundation, it's going to fall. It's going to, it's going to fall over, right? We need, to, we need to spend some time building a real foundation before we have the speed training. All right. Good stuff. Those were, that's, that's exactly what I was, what I miss. There's more back issues. So the side bend left. So I could ask a lot, you know, all this, all these, these questions uh, about the swing, but you know, these are the hot topics of, you know, yeah. side, you know, side bend is, is, is big. And, and, you know, you can see the change in knee flex. And I think we're, you know, like these guys back in the classical day in the Sam Sneeds of the world, they kind of had it figured out, you know, like taking some pressure off the body and making yeah. it freewheeling and those kinds of things. And I think we've kind of come full circle. I do think yeah, the long drive. And like you say, like Will Zalatoris with his side bend, if he was swinging the club hundred miles an hour, it might not be a problem. But if you're going to yeah. try and swing the yeah. club 120 miles an hour, it could be a problem. Yeah. Right? Yep. All right. Dr. Greg Rose, thank you. I appreciate hey, it. Well, for having me, Travis. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Have, a, have a, a great weekend. Hopefully, we'll see you in Florida. Haymaker Coffee Company was established in 2021 to create the best coffee to fuel the underdogs who perseveres, who hustles, 
and have the give-it-all mentality to achieve their American dream. Haymaker Coffee, only roast, top quality, specialty-grade coffee beans resulting in brews that satisfies those who demand every drop from their coffee and day. If you work hard, run hard, fight hard, and play hard, we have your coffee right here. 